God held on to me in that. And at the end of the day, at the end of every day, when I go to bed at night and I lay my head down, I say, thank you, God. Thank you that you're holding on to me, that you held on to me today. Because I can't, I can't do it myself. I know it's him. And this is like down the road, but here I am going, going down that road because, because you would never, I would never ever in a million years want anybody to go through what I have gone through, but I wouldn't trade what I know about God for anything in the world. I'm Nick Offenkamp, one of the pastors at Cities Church, and you're listening to Gospel Stories, a podcast where Cities Church members recount the ways that Jesus has met them in life's greatest challenges. In this episode, I sit down with my dear friend, Terry Zalt. Terry shares her story of enduring years of domestic abuse, failures of local church leadership, and her fight for faith and hope in the midst of what seemed like utter darkness. Her story is a remarkable testimony to the keeping power of God, so much so that at several points throughout my interview, I had to restrain myself from breaking into songs of worship. So, I can't wait for you to hear this incredible story, and I pray that it leads you to worship Jesus as you're reminded of His promise to hold you fast. It actually is really funny having a conversation with you with microphones. It is. Because I do know you really well. How long have we known each other? Well, since you were worship leader at the church we were both at. Yeah, back in Vancouver, Washington. So I would have have been there like 2007 is probably when we first met. Wow. 12 years, 12 years, 12 years. And, uh, so now our friendship has transcended space and time Yes, because it started where we met in Washington and now you're here in Minnesota, which is awesome. And you're a teacher at Hope Academy. I'm a teacher's aide at Hope Academy and I do the morning program and then I do teaching or teacher's aide in first and second grade combination class. And how are you finding that? I really like it. Yeah. How long have you been there? This is my second year and I really like the kids and I like um, the staff, the kids, the teachers, the environment, the culture. It's just all really good. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And then you're a mom. I am a mom. (laughs) And a Gigi. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so how many kids and grandkids do you have? I have four kids, three boys and one girl. And, um, then I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five grandkids with two more on the way. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And how long have you been in Minnesota now? It will be, um, three years in March. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe that it's almost been, is it three years, 17, 18, no, two years. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Two years in March. Uh, we had fact checkers that were, you know, going to be on top of that. So, uh, you know, I'm Instantly, really glad that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel, if you're listening, <laughs> she corrected herself. Yes. She, she caught it. You don't have to get on her about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, how are you surviving these Minnesota winters? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been okay. It really has because obviously I work indoors and so it's not, um, it's not too bad. Just getting from the car to the building is a little treacherous and sure, but for the most part, it's, it's been okay. Yeah. I love the days when it's really, really sunny out, even though it's really cold. Yeah. It still beats dreary rain gray days yeah yeah that's so anybody who moves here especially from parts of the world that i know like washington um would you i always ask the question do you prefer winter in minnesota or winter in washington oh i would 
I would rather be here. See, I'm the same way. Yeah. Which is crazy to me because like last week it was negative 50 with wind chill. Yeah. Just insane. But at the same time in Washington, it can be 40 degrees, but it's that wet cold. Yeah. But it's like no matter how many layers you put on, it's miserable and yeah. terrible. Yeah. It's just so, dreary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right. At least here you're looking out your window and Mm -hmm. even if it's negative (laughs) fifty, it looks glorious out there and everything's covered in snow. Yeah, it's so pretty. (laughs) Yeah, and then we we really appreciate spring and summer out here. (laughs) So um yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to sit down with me here and to share your story and the ways that God has been at work in you. I'm so grateful that God has brought you to City's Church and uh, for just the blessing that you are to our church body and family in more ways than we have time to describe in this single episode, (laughs) though I could, I could begin to describe many. Thank you. And uh, so, yeah, I'd I'd love to hear um, about how you ended up in Minnesota. And I ask that knowing that that's, uh, attached to uh, a very trying season of life that God has brought you through, which really is the point of this podcast is to, to share the, the hard things that we have endured because everyone endures them. And then to look at the amazing ways that Jesus shows up in those trials, unthinkable ways in which he comes and meets us by his grace and carries us through them. Mm-hmm. So I know you've got one of these amazing stories and I'd love for you to tell us a bit about it. Okay. Well, um, I moved here from Vancouver, Washington a couple of years ago, like we said, and um, it, it really was God's amazing sovereignty and his grace that just orchestrated me moving out here to Minnesota. And I never in all of my years of living in Washington, ever imagined I would be moving to Minnesota. Not not many people grow up or dream of moving, moving to, to Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> you know, it's like, I wouldn't mind a sandy beach in California. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I definitely know that it was the hand of God that, that moved me here. And um, I... Uh, I can go back just a little bit um, to the past and just uh, um, kind of give a narrative of my life in the last 25 plus years. Yeah, and that would be great. In, uh, in 1991, um, I got married to a man that I thought I was marrying the man of my dreams. And uh, I thought that he loved God and um, loved the church and serving and just wanted to... Um, love and honor and protect and, and cherish one another and just have a a godly marriage. And, um, what I didn't realize is that, um, soon after we got married, um, everything changed. The only way that I can describe, um, or have understanding is that I, I feel like that I married Dr. Jekyll, but what happened about three months into the marriage was Mr. Hyde came out Hmm. and um, that started um, the next 25 years of my marriage in um, a very abusive relationship in my marriage. Um, I endured physical harm. I was hurt physically and I was told that it was not only my fault, but that I caused the abuse because I wanted to be harmed. Mm. Um, I was emotionally mistreated. There were dozens and dozens of times over the years of being verbally assaulted, put down, called names to, criticisms, um, humiliation, mind games, crazy-making conversations, gaslighting, just a tyrannical control and lording over in the home. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of isolation. Um, he wouldn't, he would, uh, constantly check up on me during the day. He would track me and stalk me. Um, there was a lot of financial control. 
Um, he'd only give me so much money to spend, even though we had a very comfortable income. Um, uh, often he wouldn't let me go with friends. Um, he was excessively jealous and would often accuse me of having affairs or pursuing other men. Sounds like really just like creating this prison of sorts that you were uh, trapped in of not being able to do or make any sort of decisions or calls for yourself and constantly having your own judgment called into question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What were the like net effects of that on you? I didn't mean to cut you off if, if, if you had more, but uh, just uh, thinking about um, living in that kind of a relationship, which I imagine, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the frogs in a pot where you're turning up the heat little by little and mm-hmm. you don't really realize that all of a sudden the water's boiling and mm-hmm. that for you, as you're going along in the marriage, you don't really realize everything that's happening around you. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear in your own words. Yeah, you you learn um, to second guess yourself constantly. You doubt yourself. You question your um, saneness on a regular basis. You question um, what is happening to you. And um, probably the, the number one thing that happens in an abusive relationship is that the abuser um, doesn't take responsibility for anything that goes wrong or anything that's done wrong. And the blame is shifted to the victim. And so you spend an exuberant amount of time trying to figure out how to correct Mm -hmm. so you can get back to this good relationship that you had before you were married. And, And you just expend hours of time, you know, reading books, marriage books, counseling, talking to people, praying, um, just trying to fit, you live in this world of what's wrong with me? What happened yeah. that we don't have what we had before we were married? We have this utter chaos right now. And there's so many things that are wrong, but you're being deceived. You're being lied to. And even when you blatantly know something is a lie, somehow it's twisted and turned back on you hmm. for being a bad person for calling the lie out. Yeah. It's, it's crazy making is a very good word to describe it. Sure. Sure. Um, so I had, um, intimidation. Um, my, uh, ex-husband would have, um, outbursts of anger he would go for three or four days with verbal rants. He would be accusing me of all kinds of horrible things. Um, he would constantly drive really fast and reckless, even when there were kids in the car. Um, I feared for my life many times in those situations, and of course, the safety of my children. Um, he threatened to take the children away if I would ever leave, and um I, he told me I would never see them again, which is very frightening again for a mom who loves her kids. Um, and, and also that's a very common thread, uh, sorry, threat that men make in these situations is that they're going to take the children away and the, the um, wife or mom will never see her kids. Mm. Um, there was gender abuse, and I was often told that, that women are good for two things. And that is to be used and abused. Mm, goodness. Mm. Um, I was told that I was nothing more than a servant. Um, he controlled the money, decision making. He would tell me um, that he was above, that I was below, and that I needed to submit to him, no matter what the circumstances were. Mm. Um, Throughout your your marriage and relationship. Did you try to confront these things or, and when did this all come to a head or when did you come to the realization of that? Like, Oh my goodness, like this is not okay. Yeah. Um, that's the interesting thing. Um, um, for me is that I knew all along that something was terribly wrong, Hmm. 
but I didn't know what or how to um, what it was. And so I did confront, I, I did resist. Um, I've since learned that it's within our human nature to resist abuse towards us, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, a man to a woman or a woman to a man. And so, um, I, I I resisted it. I questioned it. I, um, would confront, you know, the lies, the deceptions. Um, I would confront the bad behavior, but nothing ever changed. Hmm. Nothing would ever be any different. Yeah. How many years? It was um, 25 plus years, about 25 years until um, it was in the summer of 2014 that I had a couple people that came into my life that I, um, well, that God brought into my life yeah. that, that started to make sense of what was going on and being able to actually talk to me and put um, like verbal words and understanding to what was going on in my marriage. Yeah. And that started the transition from this, you know, kind of crazy world, chaotic world that I was in to understanding, Oh, this is what's, this is what's going on. So what, what happened after that? Um, so there's so many details of the last four years that we'll try to Sure. Summarize it yeah. as best yeah. as how possible. Do you, how do you put yeah, four, four years, years of- <laughs> into a uh, a podcast episode? I don't know, but <laughs> we're gonna we'll, we'll do we're our gonna do our yeah, darndest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, in um, in uh, when when my last uh, child left home, uh, the abuse majorly escalated. It mm-hmm. it. It was it was like there was some kind of a, a letting loose of there's no more kids in the house. So um, it, it, it just it escalated um, just episodes of anger and name calling and um, just fits of rage and accusations and um, that, that just kept getting more intense and intensified. Yeah. And in um, January of 2015, I um, had enough, you know, knowledge and support from people that I knew that I needed to reach out to um, my church, the church where we were going, and ask for help. And that to really come forward and be... um, you know, kind of lay it out all on the table of what's really going in, going on in this home that some people think is like you said earlier, a, you know, great home, you know, got it together, you know, kind of thing. It's like, it's anything but that. And so, um, there's, there's certain, um, significant events that, uh, take place and, of January of 2015 is really etched in my brain, um, which is a common thing that happens uh, with women, and which is which is why I'm so glad we're even ha- doing this podcast because mm-hmm. um, I would I would want people who are in leadership positions in churches to to hear and understand that when a when when a person comes forward and tells a story of what's really going on in their home. Um, what happened to me is I met with two of the pastors at the church and one of the pastor's wives, and I spent about three hours just kind of pouring my heart out and telling them what was going on, what had happened, what what's really going on in my home, and um, it was it was very devastating because one of the pastors sat across the table from me and he looked at me and he said, um, "Terry." I don't believe you. And the person you're describing is not the person I know. And so therefore I don't believe you. 
I, I don't even know to this day how a person actually recovers from that. Yeah. Um, God, God has brought me through that. And that was such a turning point, though, for my whole world just completely turning upside down. Yeah. I mean, I, just real quick to kind of double, I mean, it, it seems to me like that would be your greatest fear going into a meeting like that. Yes. Is to have yeah. the initial response, you know, knee jerk mm-hmm. being one of distrust and disbelief. Yeah. Do you remember how you reacted or what, what happened after that comment? Um, I just sat there in shock. Yeah. I sat, I sat there just thinking, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what I could do to, yeah. I wasn't expecting that kind of response. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was really dumbfounded. Sure. Because uh, basically I've poured my heart out for three hours and a person, I, I don't know what they're, con- I mean, now that I've thought about it years later, it's like basically what you said is you're lying. Right. You're lying. And, you know, as it turns out, that was the mantra that was kind of latched onto and continued throughout the whole process of part of the suffering and trial that I went through with the church. Yeah. Is being accused of lying and and not telling the truth about what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about the the process then and where things went after that January 2015 conversation. So um so just a little bit of a background. I was very involved in the church there. I was co-leading women's Bible study. I was right. I remember that. Yeah, doing um, events for the, the church. The head of the women's ministry. Or, yeah, with the with the pastor's wife and um, just being very involved in the life of the church and serving and loving. You Your know. Mama Z. That's yeah, <laughs> that's how I knew you. Yeah, youth events and and youth parties and and discipleship and people and just I mean I that was my. That was my family. They were, they were a safe haven for, um, you know, I just, I love the Lord and his word and just being with God's people. And so that's where he had me. And mm-hmm. um, from that um, meeting in January of 2015, my world completely turned upside down. I was removed from every form of leadership in the church I was um, couldn't teach Bible study any longer. Um, I couldn't even help with welcome lunches. I was told to that there was nothing, um, and it was put under the the um, label. Your you know your marriage is having problems, so you need to work on that first. Sure. But but the hardest thing about that was the complete shunning of the people in leadership from the church Hmm. that you experienced, that I experienced. They, from that point on, um, none except for one of all of the pastor's wives have never spoken to me since that time. Oh my goodness. Never, ever have came to me, never have talked to me, never have reached out to me to say, Hey, is there anything I can even do? And these are all folks that you were friends with and yes, yeah. that were in we were in ministry with, right? You know, right. we were co-leading Bible studies yeah. together and and working in you know youth parties together, all right. those kinds of things. These and, were your people, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the relationship was just completely severed, and sh- I was shunned. Hmm. And um, I, I I don't even know how to describe mm-hmm. the pain yeah. of having people just completely drop you like you no longer exist. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, um, hmm. yeah, I can't, uh, it's just painful to even imagine real quick. I, I just even want to back up, um, 
to the the January 2015 meeting because I think that this will help as we try to understand the process going forward. But going into that meeting, what were your hopes and expectations as far as outcomes? Like what, you know, how did it have gone the way that you had anticipated or hoped? What what would they have done? Yeah, I I hoped, I was asking for help that there would be um, a, um, like a confrontation, a, a holding of accountability to my then husband, that there would be, um, that there would be a true um, understanding of what was going on, and that there was a lot of a lot of darkness and deceit and and sin and and harm, mm-hmm. physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, sexual, financial harm that was being done. Yeah. And so, I mean, to put it bluntly, that it would stop. Sure, sure. (laughs) You know, I didn't want my marriage to end. I didn't want to, you know, have it be dissolved. I didn't want uh, to be um, Mm -hmm. divorced. That was never my intent. I didn't want any of those things. I wanted true godly reconciliation with him, a godly marriage. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean... So shepherds are supposed to protect sheep. And so you as one of the sheep were coming and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm hurting and I'm getting beat up here. Mm -hmm. I need some protection. Yeah. And then to be told, you're not really hurting. You don't really need protection. Mm -hmm. Well, so you continued, um, uh, then down this this process. I mean, uh, this is your church. These are your people. You were leading Bible studies, and so you know God's word and love God's word, and um, knew uh, what pastors ought to do in these situations, and held out hope uh, that that these this church and these pastors would would mm-hmm. do the right thing. Is is what I'm assuming as you went through the yes. continued to go through the process mm-hmm. and you know what, so you've mentioned the shunning, what, what else, what are some other touchdown points in this process? Um, well, I continued to, um, reach out to them and ask for help, mm-hmm. um, letting them know what things were going on, um, at home and what continued to go on at home. And um, sorry, I need to back up. In, in January of that same year, when, after I had had the meeting with the pastors, yeah, um, a very good friend of mine invited me to um, a support group called Mending the Soul. Okay, and it's for it's for um, it was for women who have suffered abuse um, and just a support group and it and it's a a program that that takes you through kind of the process and healing but it's all biblically based sure. which i really really love and i Good. would highly recommend to um anybody and they're actually based out of portland oregon okay um so it in the process of going through that every week with these group of ladies i realized that there was um that the abuse that I had suffered permeated way farther into my children's lives than than I mm. had originally known with them. You know, I knew they were affected. Yeah, I just didn't know how much. How, how much? Deeply. Yes, sure. And um, it was through um, a process of understanding more of what it looks like. Um, that I, I realized that there were some, there was some, I knew that things had happened uh, to my daughter and I didn't say anything to her, uh, but I just prayed about it and our group um, prayed about it. And um, one day um, she, there was a, there was a circumstance that happened and she came to me and talked to me about what had happened to her and what she had experienced um, um, 
views from her dad to her. And um, her and her fiancé uh, went to him, and I didn't know that, that they did this, but they went and they confronted him. Yeah. And, of course, he denied it and um, continued to deny it, even when I went to him and confronted him. Yeah. And um, that was a point that was a, a major turning point for me because I asked him if he would move out of the house because we were trying to plan her wedding and um, her fiance and his family asked her to not be at the house um, with her dad being there um, alone. And um, so there was kind of this dilemma. Right. And so I asked him if he would, if he would move out and he refused and, um, again, did not take responsibility. And so I actually then ended up um, finding a place and um, the group that supported me, that I was in this support group, helped me move out of the house. And again, it was not with the intention of, I'm done, this is over, you know, I'm getting a divorce, I can't stand you. Right. It was done with the intention of, I need my daughter to be safe and I need to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, really if we're going to have any shot at fixing things here, we need to create some space is what I hear you saying. Yes. Is the rationale. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, was a, a major turning point also in 2015 that I moved out of the house, um, a few months later, at the request, at actually the very strong request and encouragement of a couple of godly men, um, I went and filed a, a legal separation. Okay. Yeah. Um, just to, because of all of the financial abuse that I had gone through, mm-hmm. they highly recommended that um, I get some kind of legal protection. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go over? Well, it didn't go over very well. Okay. This is um, a, this is almost like a series of unfortunate events. Yes. Are you familiar with that <laughs> series? Or yes. a, okay. Um, so in that process, again, there's a, there's lots of details, lots of, um, you know, pieces to the puzzle, but throughout that year, I did keep in contact with, um, the pastors of the church, um, I have uh, lots of letters and emails that I sent them asking for help, dealing with a lot of different circumstances. And um, I was pretty much met with uh, silence again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was in March of 2016 um, I received a letter. I, I actually had finally left the church and started going to another church there in Vancouver, Washington, just as um, a place to just hear the word and yeah. and be safe. Well, because you're at the time husband, was he still attending? This? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Um, he yeah. would come to the service and I would go to a service and it felt like nobody was really doing anything and um, it was just very unsafe for me. And I was pretty, I was very alone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So ostracized by your community and then being forced into the sort of, I mean forced, but like by you being there on a Sunday morning and your at the time husband being there on a Sunday morning and then there not being anything done to make things right. I can understand why you would start attending somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. So, I didn't so to then in off. March of the, the 2016, then I received a 10 page letter from um, the lead pastor from the church. And it was a very, very scathing accusatory letter to me. Hmm. Um, warning me that um, if I didn't do certain things that they were going to excommunicate me from the church. Hmm. 
And um, so, I mean, again, my world just fell apart. And yeah. How long had it been since you had had any communication with them between, uh, you know, your last talk with them and when you got that letter? Um, I actually had one conversation with them in August of 2015. Okay. uh, And there was an email exchange in November. So from August to November and then from November to March. Okay. Nothing. Okay. So to actually talk to somebody face to face, that was August. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No phone call. So nothing. just out of the blue, you get a letter that's saying, and what were the kind of requirements? You, you don't have to list them all, but you know, just well, a few just, of the ones that. Yeah. There's basically just uh, to stop the legal separation, to be reconciled to um, my husband. Um, whatever that would look like, because he wasn't <laughs> actually living in the in our home. He had oh. moved out of that, and the house was sold. Oh, yeah. And then um, to be reconciled to the church, and to stop slandering the church. They accused mm. me of slandering the leadership, and so oh. I needed to do those four things in order to. Um. And oh, and also that I was believing a narrative about my husband at the time that wasn't true. They 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 said that all of my accusations were not true about him, and so I needed to stop um, speaking yeah. about him in that way. The, hence the theme that you were mentioning earlier of Terry, you're a liar. Terry, yeah. we don't believe you. Yes. So cut out the act. Yeah, you know. And 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 unbelievably profound brokenness from the letter, the original ten-page letter, that was um, so difficult. Was not only we don't believe you, but the pastor actually accused me of being the abuser. Oh wow! So they flipped it on you. Yes. Yeah. And that okay. I was the one who was in sin and oh um, had abused my husband. On what grounds or basis or, you know, like. On his word of what he told them. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so you're the liar, but they did believe him and his account. Yes. Mm hmm. Huh. So what's your response to a letter like that? I mean, what, what do you do? Well, I remember distinctly falling down on my knees and crying because, um, um, it's like a nightmare. It's like a, it's like you're in a different, reality because all all I can think is that I love God I love his church I love his people I love his word and all I've been doing is trying to cry out for help in this absolutely harmful and unsafe and chaotic world Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I'm going to be excommunicated I'm going to be told um, that I'm no longer in right standing with God mm-hmm. that that messes with your mind really bad it, yeah. because if you're a person who loves God and you you know it's like I try to serve him with my whole heart and that doesn't mean, I, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect or I never did anything wrong in the marriage or I mm-hmm. never was sinless. Of course. But I really care about what God thinks of me. Mm-hmm. I really care about being in right, right relationship with him. And to have a person in authority who is a shepherd, yeah, who is who represents 
God or is supposed to represent God. Say to me, we're going to excommunicate you based on the fact that I'm not sinning. There's not, there's not anything that I'm doing in this process. I'm trying every single way I know to do the right thing and, yeah. and not, and not to sin. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it's, it, it was, it was mind blowing. It was beyond, yeah. it was beyond sorrowful. Well, and I can only imagine just based on the way that you described your home and your marriage and the instability that that created and the, you know, the, I can't remember the exact word you used for it, but just like crazy making, you know, just feeling like, am I crazy? Am I insane? Uh, What is real? And that for you to have like the one thing that you know is real is is that I am the Lord's and he is mine. Like the end of the day, that's where I can plant Mm -hmm. my flag. Mm -hmm. And then to have your church even call that into question, I can only imagine just how disorienting, uh, that would be. Yeah. And I yes. think I think disorienting is a very mild term. <laughs> yeah. But here's yeah. here's yeah. the thing that that I can pause. Like we're at Starbucks coffee talking and I can say without doubt that it's those times that there is no way that you don't know that God is hanging on to you when you make mm-hmm. it through something like that. Right. Because I wouldn't have been able to make it through that. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to make it through. Yeah. But but God held on to me. Yeah. In that. And at the end of the day, at the end of every day, when I go to bed at night and I lay my head down, I say, thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you that you're holding on to me, that you held on to me today. Yeah. Because I can't I can't do it myself. I know it's him. Yeah. And this is like down the road, but here That's, I am going going down that road because because you would never I would never ever in a million years want anybody to go through what I have gone through. Yeah. But I wouldn't trade what I know about God for anything in the world. Hmm. I would never want to go through that again. Yeah. But to have the knowledge and the that the intimacy that God held on to me, that He's holding on to me, that comes through suffering, that comes yeah. through trial, that comes through having your your faith tested. Right. And I know my faith is real because he held on to me. Yeah. My faith was not shipwrecked by the, by the degree or decree, degree, um, what's the word? Decree of somebody saying, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. We're going to excommunicate you. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't have that much power. God does. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to like almost stop right now and just sing a praise song, yeah. you know, <laughs> he will hold me fast or yes. something like that. It's just like, oh, yeah, uh, yes. let's rejoice in that truth, yes. you know, like, amen. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So I, I do want to hear just what else happens in this yes. story, because you get this letter yeah. in March. So I got the letter. I, I responded um, back, I wrote them a, a long letter and I responded back to the letter. And, um, again, I didn't hear a response until April of that year. Um, a letter was sent out to church members and they basically, um, did what they said they were going to do. They, they excommunicated, they excommunicated me from the church. And um, they sent me a personal letter that was not sent to members. And um, basically the summarization of that was, we will have nothing more to do with you. And um, my understanding of excommunication is that uh, you are declared worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. And so 
Um, needless to say, that has caused um, a tremendous amount of alienation from people that are very near and dear to me in my life. And yeah. um, those relationships are profoundly broken and damaged and hurt yeah. um, by, by, by that excommunication. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the New Testament says like excommunication is the equivalent of uh, handing someone over to Satan. It's purging the evil mm-hmm. person from among you. It's yes. having nothing to do with them. Yes. Um, and that's on one hand, yes, like the hope is restorative that by handing them over, um, that God would then bring them to their senses and bring them to repentance. Yes. But it's also to protect the purity of the church. Mm-hmm. It's to protect the members of the church. So excommunication is not just for a like a restorative mm-hmm. kind of thing, but it's there. I mean, there comes with it like a have nothing to do with such a, a one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I can only imagine then this place that you've, as a Bible study leader and cultivated all these relationships with people and even with your, your family, and we mm-hmm. don't have to get into that, but I can just imagine just how difficult uh, that would make things. Yes. Um, a severe loss. There's, there's a profound loss um, in those relationships and a sorrow mm-hmm. and a pain. Yeah. That is, has been um, unbearable at times. Yeah. So in summary, you have lost your husband. You've lost your home. You've lost any sort of financial stability. You've lost all respect and place within your Christian community. I mean, I know I'm missing out on the things that, that you've lost, but then finally you lose uh, your church's claim on you as a believer and as a sister. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I mean, what else do you have to lose? <laughs> I mean, that's that's a low. Yeah. Yeah. And so... How does Jesus meet you in that? You know, how, how has God met you? How has Jesus become more real to you through all of this? What have the last few years even looked like for you as you've tried to make sense of everything and as you've tried to move forward and move on? I think that's the most um, powerful, profound part of, the story is to think through um, the ways that God has met me. And um, years ago, years ago, a woman um, invited me to precept Bible study. Hmm. And I started learning how to study the Bible inductively and being, being in God's word. And um, I mean, the, I could just not even say enough of how much the word of God is the bread of life. It is sustains us and um, um, comforts us, um, helps us, guides us, gives us wisdom, gives us discernment. It's, it's, um, it's water to a parched soul. It's, um, the Psalms are just full of words of encouragement and hanging on and, um, you know, don't let go and God's got this. And (laughs) it's the language of the heart and even lament, you know, even the like, how long, Oh Lord. Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, and, and the justice that we cry out for too. Right. Um, right. All of that's there. Yeah. All of it is there. David Mm -hmm. cries out for justice and, um, for the Lord to, to, um, pierce with his arrows and, um, But one story that um, 
I, uh, um, in doing Preset Bible Study, we did the book of Genesis. And of course, most people listening to this know the story of Joseph. And in inductive study, you mark key repeated phrases. Mm-hmm. And um, the key repeated phrase from the story of Joseph that you see when you when you study it inductively is, you know, the narrative, this and this and this happened to Joseph. Mm-hmm. But God was with Joseph. Mm-hmm. Then a few more verses, blah, 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 this and this and this happened. But God was with Joseph. Yeah. And 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 so in the last couple of years that has that has been what god brings to mind constantly like i shared earlier but god is with me god is with me he's not deserted me he's not left me yeah. and i think of joseph sitting you know sitting in a dungeon somewhere um going how, how did we get here I mean, I said that to myself so many times, even when I moved here, I'm like, how did, how did I get here? How did we get here? How did I get excommunicated from a church? And it's like, you don't have, there's no answers except, but I'm with you. Yeah. I have a plan. Yeah. I know the big picture. I'm sovereign. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, God, this doesn't feel really good. He's like, you're right, but I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hang on to that. (laughs) (laughs) And so his, you know, just, just that promise constantly of I'm with you. I'm with you. His word. I'm, you know, he just, and then you have friends, you have people that, that God does bring into your life. You have people that, that pray for you that, you know, I have girlfriends that I can message or I can text or I can call and I can just be like, pray for me. Mm-hmm. And that's all they need. Cause they know the whole story. Yeah. And I have a group of ladies that gone through really hard times from, uh, this same circumstance with this church. And we, we are in contact with one another. We love one another. We support one another because we've been through such suffering. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a, um, nourishment to the soul that, you know, somebody, when they say they're going to pray for you, they, they do, you know, right. And support and, and care for one another. And, um, there's just, uh, you know, the me, the means of grace of, of, God just holding you in his word and, and friends and, and people. And, um, and then leading me here to Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like you said earlier, whoever wants to go to Minnesota, Yeah. <laughs> not me. And not yet me. here I am. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> and my daughter and son-in-law are here. My yeah. uh, two of my grandchildren are here and, I have great friends that are here, supportive and loving. And, and here, here's the thing, here's the thing that, um, that is to be celebrated is that not all churches and not all pastors respond with what happened with me. Mm. There are men that are good shepherds that Mm. love Jesus and love his word. And, God just so happened Mm -hmm. to bring me here to Minnesota because that's what I found here Mm -hmm. is, is a group of men who love Jesus and who love his word and get this and understand this and have been shepherds. Mm -hmm. And the, the very, the very thing of being so deeply wounded by men who claim to be shepherds, there's such deep wounds. There's also such profound healing hmm. from godly men who have come alongside me and have cared for me and protected me and reached out to me and um, believed me, yeah. validated me, um, trusted me, cared for me, prayed for me. Yeah. Um, there, That's, you know, one is so deeply 
wounding, the other is so deeply healing. Mm. It's hard to explain. Mm. But all of those things together are how God has met me Yeah, all along the way. Yeah. He's met me. He's held me. Um, even in my job, I work at a, a school that's a Christian school. There's um, people there that love Jesus that... Um, up until recently, most of them didn't know my story, but they just have come around me. They've loved me. They've embraced me. They've prayed for me and cried with me. And um, it just, it, it's, it's just um, kind of indescribable, indescribable sometimes of yeah. the many ways, the many means that God has used to hold me. Yeah and keep me and that I haven't um, shipwrecked. You know, my faith has not been shipwrecked and I've just not become a man hater and a church hater and a, you know, people hater. And <laughs> That's frankly what I'm so surprised by in, in all of this. I mean, I think the way that you summed up uh, your story using that recurring theme in Joseph's own life, but God was with Joseph, but God was with Terry. I mean, how else do you explain not having the reactionary, like, okay, I, I tried that Christianity thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, that blew up horribly. I lost everything on mm-hmm. that. And um, yeah, to, to see you come away and be like, no, I didn't, I didn't lose everything. I lost a lot, but I did not lose my God. Mm-hmm. I did not lose Jesus, and he didn't lose me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what just blows me away about your story. That's what blows me away about you being here, about you being in this room right now and recording uh, this episode and just testifying to these realities. I mean, God has held you. Mm-hmm. It's just remarkable. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Um, sadly, you are not alone in your experience. You've already alluded to other women that you're in close contact with. Mm-hmm. who have gone through similar situations. And um, the statistics are incredibly alarming as far as how uh, prevalent domestic abuses, not just in our culture at large, but even within the church. Mm -hmm. And um, what would be your counsel or encouragement to others who may find themselves in a similar situation to what you were in? Yeah. um, That's really where my heart is in, in, um, not only wanting to glorify God and and speaking out, but to be a voice for other women that may be really afraid. Um, I know that being in domestic abuse is uh, you live in fear every yeah. day. And I would just um, give a couple of different thoughts, um, kind of different places, but I would encourage anyone that's listening that if they find themselves in this situation to, I mean, you can even message me if you want to, um, but to go to, um, find, find a person. If you are a person of faith, find a person that you can trust. Um, hopefully it would be, um, a, a pastor or shepherd, a true shepherd, uh, in your church or, a friend that you can trust that you could talk to. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, just nationally, there's national hotline number of uh, domestic abuse that you can contact. There's lots of resources, even here in the twin cities, um, just to reach out and, and get help and, and just start a, um, a journey of being safe, not only for yourself, but for your children, the, the ramifications of, Domestic abuse on children is profound. We haven't even really touched on that, but it's yeah. it's very, very far-reaching, more than what, what, as a mom, you think that it is when you're in it. It has a lot of uh, effects. Um, 
don't, don't, uh, don't be afraid to just reach out and trust somebody and talk to somebody. I would highly recommend, um, the emotionally destructive marriage by Leslie Vernick is a very, very good resource. Um, Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas, I believe is her name, um, is a really good resource. Um, there's there's people even here, you know, myself at City's Church, there's pastors, there's um, uh, women in leadership that, you know, understand, uh, would, would be um, an advocate, a help. Um, I know there's other churches in the area here that um, have programs that are set up that are helpful. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, sin and abuse thrive in darkness. Yes. And so mm-hmm. uh, to bring light to those areas of darkness and even if that starts in a very small way mm-hmm. of just going to one trusted friend and just mm-hmm. starting to say, Hey, something's off here mm-hmm. and I, I need some help because this doesn't feel right. This yes. doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And just trusting uh, that, that God is going to meet you in that, that you don't need to, to hide or to hold it all in, but that this is something that should Yes. Talk about that you mm. should bring forward yep. and yep. seek out help mm. for abuse thrives in silence. Yeah. So we want to we want to speak out. We want to bring it to the light. Amen. God Amen. works in shining the light on the darkness and dispelling it. And it's not an easy journey. Yeah. It's a very, very difficult journey. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but there is healing. There mm-hmm. is healing. Yeah. And even on that point of that, you know, and it, it feels like even God is being taken from you. Um, you'd mentioned it earlier, but just the, the whole idea of crying out to the Lord from the depths, mm-hmm. even in the midst of all the pain and all the hurt and mm-hmm. just continuing to go to him. And it oh. just seems like as oh. you've done that, God mm-hmm. has been faithful to to meet you and yes. to give you yes. the grace that you need for mm-hmm. the day. Yep. And my um one of my favorite verses uh is um Colossians one seventeen. It says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Mm-hmm. And that has been the verse that mm-hmm. Um, I hang on to because Jesus promises that he's holding on to me and he's not only yeah. just holding on, but he's keeping me together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Um, yeah. the song that um, in, in, in a time that was one of my, my darkest, darkest times um, the song that the Lord gave me to sing was the song we sang this morning, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Yeah. All other ground is sinking sand. And he reminds me, every day, you're on solid ground. You're on solid ground. I've got you. I've got, I'm holding on to you. You're in a safe place. And... Even if the whole entire world falls apart, I still got you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Stories. The Gospel Stories podcast is a production of Cities Church, and you can learn more about Cities Church and find all kinds of great resources by visiting citieschurch.com. We'll be back soon with another story of God's extraordinary grace. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that the next episode automatically pops up in your feed. If you are encouraged by the things you heard here, please leave us a review. Or better yet, give the episode a share so that more people can hear about the work of Jesus in the life of his people. 
A very special thanks to Sarah Groves for our theme music. If you haven't heard her album, Abide With Me, you should definitely go check that out. And finally, if you have a story that you'd like to share, please head on over to citieschurch.com stories to find our submission form. Thanks so much for tuning in. You'll hear from us again soon. Jesus.